My name is Isaiah Fetterman, and I'm the media coordinator here at Aletheia. And I have the opportunity to preach for you this morning. Uh, this is a way we get to practice what we call the four E's, which is to engage, encourage, equip, and empower. And so the elders and some other leaders have noticed a gift in me to preach, as well as several others, and they give us opportunities to practice and grow our gifts that we might use it in the future wherever the Lord takes us. So this is a way we get to see me being equipped and empowered by the leaders of this church as we want for everyone to be equipped and empowered, equipped and empowered with the gifts God has given you. Today we are going through 1 Corinthians and we have these lovely journals for you <clears throat> that you can follow along with and take notes in because what's the best way to remember what you hear today or any other day is write it in a journal. So if you need a journal, uh, Josiah here has journals, Paul has journals, just raise your hand and they will give it. It is our gift to you. It is free and it is a way that you can just follow along. So enjoy. A little bit about myself. Usually, you can find me maybe hosting a game night, uh, playing Catan or pickleball. Some of you may have played me on the courts. Sometimes I win, sometimes I don't. Um, and just trying to have a good time with people uh, and sometimes having deep discussion because I just enjoy being around people and, you know, doing the nice things. Um, <clears throat> last week, of course, Kevin had to out me, uh, not just as a lover of Star Wars, but that I, in fact, do love the prequels the best. Um, that is not today's sermon, though, so we're not going to talk about it. If you'd like to understand why that is the truth, then you can talk to me afterwards. <clears throat> and I also love to lean into the importance of community and God's love and things that fall more in that realm. That being said, as you listen to this uh, scripture being said this morning, um, they like to give me some challenging topics uh, um, that lean into some harder issues. And last time, they had me talk about hidden sin from Joshua 7. And this time, the title of the sermon is simply Sin Amongst Us. And how do we handle that? Lord willing, we'll have another happy landing. And by that, I mean we will see how dealing with sin brings repentance, restoration, and spiritual growth. Though there may be some tough moments, as Matt Chandler would put it, conscience bids me to be heavy and awkward. This is a chance for me to step back and let the Holy Spirit lead because this isn't my natural state to talk about some of these things and it isn't for a lot of us, but we wanna be true to the full breadth of scripture. This is why we go through books and chapters holistically so that when we hit hard stuff like this, we talk about it and we go through it together as a church. So with that in mind, would you please pray with me because... We've got a lot to go through, and it's, uh, it can be heavy at times, so let's pray. Um, Father, would you, uh, in your truth, be known this morning? I pray that my words would not be my own, but that they would be yours. God, I pray that as there are challenging moments, as there are convictions, as there are uncomfortable moments, we would reflect on what the truth is and what our response to it should be. Holy Spirit, would you move in my heart as I preach and in the hearts of those who are listening and soften us to the truth of your word. And I pray that through it all, our truth or this truth would point us to the grace and hope of the cross. We pray this in your name. Amen. So 
So far in 1 Corinthians, uh, we've been talking about basically one word for the most part, which is unity. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, it says this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So we've been talking a lot about unity and this idea that through all these uh, preferences that people have, that we want to fight for that unity in the church and in the body. But now what we're going to see in chapter 5 is we're going to take this hard turn that Paul takes to see what is this disunity that Corinth has been struggling with and how it leads into some serious problems that come up. So to see this problem, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Oh boy. So as some would say, big oof. Paul points out that a man is having sexual relations with his mother-in-law. This is not okay. And in one word, what is so important as to require this big turn that Paul takes is sin. If you take away one thing from the sermon today, perk up your ears, listen up, write it down. It should be this, that sin is serious. It has consequences and should not be ignored. And the reality is, guys, that this isn't just to a few people. This is to all of us because guess what? We all struggle with sin. Romans 3.23, a famous passage, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all fall short and fail in sin. And to help us understand how and to see a list of things we might struggle with, we're going to go to Romans 1. Verses 29 to 32 says this, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, when I first read that, uh, I, uh, you know, I took an honest reflection and was like, ouch. Because as I read that list, as I'm sure all of you do, there are things in that are like, I've done that or continue to do that or will do that. And just this constant struggle with sin that we have. And this isn't even the only list of sin in the Bible. And here in 1 Corinthians 5, we see a particular type of sin, which is sexual immorality. And I'm not going to spoil all of Kevin's sermon in two weeks, because we will go into more depth uh, in a couple weeks. But the word used here is pornea. This describes basically any sex outside of God's design and marriage between one man and one woman. Here, sex with family members, adultery, homosexuality, sex with animals, and so on. Some of these are not popular in culture to say is wrong, but this is something I care a lot about, and if that's a conversation you need to have to process through that, I'm happy to talk to you after, our pastors are happy to talk to you after, and we'll have that conversation. But that is not the focus of the sermon today, so I'll leave it there. And guys, 
all sin is destructive and bad, but sexual sin is personal and has some of the most lasting scars and effects. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So whether it be sexual sin, or whether it be sin listed from Romans 1 or another sin, Guys, I just want you to remember that as we talk about this, the reason why we're going through this is because as Christians, we take sin seriously. It is dangerous and can lead to severe consequences, even if not, especially if not dealt with. So please remember that sin is serious. And this is a lifelong battle. A quick remedy for sin to see is that there's two things we can do. Is Number one, we have to trust in God. As hard as you may try, you will not overcome sin on your own. Romans 6.23 reaffirms what Romans 1 said, that sin deserves death by saying, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin demands a death penalty, but God has given us his son that we might be freed from what we deserve and to be in communion with God like we were intended. We transfer our trust to God, a God who loves us, who provides for us. And then we confess. We don't want to hide in the muck and mire of sin any longer, but be open and try to kill it, be healed from it. Because yes, we want to trust in God and we want to seek his help in that. And he gives us freedom from those sins that we no longer have to have the eternal death that we're supposed to have because of sin. But now we have an opportunity to look at those sins and work through it together with the community he's given around us so that we aren't alone in this and we don't have to struggle alone, but have people who also struggle, who understand and can walk alongside of us in this. So first, we confess to God, we trust in him. And then second, we confess to our brothers and sisters in Christ. James 5.16 encourages us with this. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So please realize your brothers and sisters are there to walk alongside you and to pray with you through anything that is our call to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you haven't given your trust to Jesus, then don't wait. He offers us freedom from the bonds of sin, from the fear of performance, trying to be someone we're not and trying to ignore the fact that we really struggle with a lot of things. And he gives us hope for an eternal future with a loving and caring and just God who is there through all of our strains and struggles. So please, if you haven't transferred your trust to Jesus, I, I urge you to not wait and do that this morning. And if you are a believer and you struggle with sin, confess. Receive the grace, love, and help of Jesus. 
walk out those consequences because even, even if we confess, there will still potentially be consequences for what we do. But do it alongside a community of people who are there to walk with you and with a God who loves you through it all and see him glorified through this process. And as very aptly put by Matt Chandler, one of my favorite quotes by him is, if you're on fire, cry for help. Cry for help. Don't just sit there burning. Say, help. We're here for each other to help and walk through that together. And so now it gets a little more interesting, and we actually go into the passage finally. Uh, How do we deal with sin as a church? When we as individuals notice others struggling struggling or blatantly committing sin around us, what do we do? Some would say we just sit and do nothing. Like, don't judge them. God says, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. That's, that's one side. The other side might say, oh, we got to tell them it's wrong. We got to go up there, slap them up the head. And we got to tell them, hey, do it better. Be better. Shake them as hard as you can. And that's the other extreme. And, and the reality is they're both wrong. And we're going to see what Paul calls us to do that brings them towards repentance and restoration and growth. So these are important questions. What do we do with sin? So in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. This is when things seem a little awkward Are we supposed to kick people out of the church? Is this excommunication? Isn't this some Catholic thing that they did in the Middle Ages? So what do we do with this idea of church discipline? Now, before you zone out and are like, oh, this is weird, I'm just not gonna listen. This doesn't apply to me. Paul clearly puts his authority here in verses three and four to say this is important. We can't skirt this under the rug and we need to know how do we deal with sin when it is amongst us. So 1 Corinthians 5, verses 3 to 4 says this. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. He is putting his full authority behind this command and the authority of Jesus behind this command. So please, 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 as we work through this and we see how we deal with sin amongst us, pay attention. Know what is our role as we walk alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ as they struggle with sin. Now, first, I do want to distinguish by jumping to the end of the passage in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. Who is this meant for? Verse 9 says this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would not need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. 
purge the evil person from among you. This call is for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There isn't an expectation for sinners to follow God's commands outside of Christ because they're not in Christ. The result is we we all have that call that we will go to hell if we don't, but as believers, we have that standard on us and we need to find that hope. And that's where church discipline comes in, is it points us to our need for Christ. First, my prayer is that the Lord reveals our sin to us as individuals and that we seek the help of brothers and sisters in Christ to help us through our struggles. A good way to do this is to pray through Psalm 139, 23, and 24. This is one of my favorite verses. And it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in way everlasting. This is a prayer that the Lord would reveal our sins and lead us in righteousness. So ideally, we don't have to approach each other, but the reality is, as much as we would like to know all of our own sins and problems, and as much as we'd like everyone to know their own sins and problems, sometimes they don't. They don't see it. They're not aware of it. And that's where we get to how we deal with brothers and sisters around us who struggle with sin. God has a clear path for us to follow in Matthew 18. So let's turn there. And then in verses 15 through 17, it says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It's a very straightforward path of calling people to repentance. First, talk to your fellow believer in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean you see it and you just go willy-nilly and be like, whoa, bro, I saw this, go, you know, go crazy. But pray, ask God, is this truly something that's wrong? And pray through that and see if the Lord continues to convict you to go talk to them. And then read scripture, because what better way to find out if this is in God's law or not and is good or not is to read the word of God. Look it up, ask Google. There are plenty of ways to learn about these things. And then do you still, as you're reading, as you're praying, see affirming of the truth of what you believe is wrong? Then go, be bold, be loving, and talk to your brother or sister in Christ. Lord willing, they listen, and as it says, you've gained a brother in Christ. But if they don't, then we bring it to another leader or friend in our life who's mature and able to uh, kind of speak into their life and who's someone who speaks into your life, and then you confront them together and you process through that more and you see, is this truly wrong? And then if they still are unrepentant, we bring it to the leaders of the church. And we confront them as the leadership of the church. And if they're still unrepentant, then we treat them as an unbeliever and send them out of the community, as it says at the end of this verse. 
And it reiterates this in 1 Corinthians 5.5. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Here's another really strong statement that can really seem a little freaky at first, but let's process through this. What does it mean when he says delivered to Satan? There is a point in sinning that God sometimes gives people over to their sins, that they might see the error of their ways and see that God's way is better. Right before that long list I gave you of sin in Romans 1, in verse 28, it says this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Not that they might be destroyed, but that they might realize what they had with God was better and want to return in repentance. Just like the prodigal son left with all that he had and went and did who knows what, lost it all and realized being with the father was better. In the same way, when we deliver people to Satan, it means we are letting them out into the world that they might do what they want to do and ultimately come back and see God's way is better. God's way is more loving, more caring, more freeing, more filling than anything the world has to offer. And I love this last line where it says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Guys, if we let people out of the church sometimes, they suffer a lot of consequences. They're, they might get hurt. There might be challenges in there, especially when it comes to sexual sins. There are a lot of consequences there. But our hope is that it's in this life and that, the, that they might be saved in the life to come for all eternity. Because we care more about their soul, which lasts forever, than we necessarily care, well, we do care about them as well, but we hope for their ultimate salvation in eternity. I love this quote by Wearsby, which says, church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it is a group of brokenhearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family. And now we've talked about who. All of us are called to walk in this as we seek to restore brothers and sisters in Christ. We've talked about how. We walk and approach them one-on-one, -on -one, then two or three-on-one, -on -one, and then with church leadership. And now I wanna talk about why. Why is this important? We've alluded to it a little bit, but let's take a, a deep dive into this. So do you see sin in believing friends around you? Have you seen it in the past? Will you definitely see it in the future? Yeah. I'm, I hate to tell you, but we're all sinners, so it's going to happen. And it could be anything as tough as adultery to maybe something as simple as gossip. But it's all sin, and it all needs to be dealt with. Why? We move against sin in our own lives and in the lives of others to find three things. Repentance, restoration, and spiritual growth. Repentance, that turning away from our sin and having them turn away from their sin. Restoration and reconnecting with God. And spiritual growth, which is experiencing victory from our sin. And first, we're going to start with repentance. I promise all these things will come back, so 
you know, write them as quickly as you can, but know they'll come again. Um, there's repentance in two categories. We're going to constantly go back and forth between for the sinner and for the church. So first we see repentance for the sinner, that they would see the destruction of the flesh. So as we already talked about in 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, where it says you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, as well as 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. When we have unrepentant believers in sin and we don't let them partake of the benefits of godly community without also seeking to repent and follow his commands. This is not a call to be perfect because if that was the case, then this would be me, not even me, preaching to an empty room. But as we deal with sin, as we deal with these struggles, we wanna stop and we wanna seek help and grow through that. And we walk along this together as a community. It is only when people deliberately continue and have no desire or inkling to stop and grow that we cut them out. Lord willing, not forever, but until they are willing to turn back to Jesus for help. And then secondly, we see for the church repentance to protect the corporate witness of the church. Here in chapter five, we see the struggle with the church and how they're doing it wrong. But first to see our call is Matthew five, when it says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our purity and good works and how we live differently is part of our witness to the world. This is why we must deal with sin in the steps and take steps to, sorry. This is why we must deal with the sin that steps outside of the bounds of God's commands. And the reality is in Corinth, more than anything, they probably allowed this sin to happen and why Paul calls them out so strongly in the name of tolerance. They probably said to themselves, look how loving we are. We're letting him do whatever he wants. Yeah, it's fine. We accept this brother just as he is. Look how open-minded we are. But call, Paul calls them away from that. He says, are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Your boasting is not good. Even pagans thought it was bad. The call of Christians is righteousness. As Jesus prays in John 17, that though we are still present in this world, that we might share Christ with those in the world, we might not be given over to the things of the world. This is huge. Paul is not just calling out the sin of sexual immorality in verse one, but he's calling out the apathy of the church in the rest of this chapter. We cannot be apathetic to sin. It is an affront to God and his gospel of freedom in Christ. 
An example of this is in Galatians when Paul calls, has to call out Peter. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it, the story goes like this. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here, Peter gives into peer pressure and starts showing favoritism and preference and excluding others from the community of God. The gospel is for everyone who would receive Jesus, not just the Jews. So this is literally an affront that trashes the inclusion of the gospel. It is a serious sin. So Paul calls him to repentance, that the church's witness might be preserved. And he clearly was successful because all of us who, most of us are Gentiles in here, are sitting here today because of that, that moment when there was this tension that was an affront to the gospel, and Paul calls Peter out on it so that they might repent and preserve the witness of the church. So first we see repentance, then we see restoration, and first for the sinner, that we might restore them to God. We cannot 100% confirm what happens with the person called out for sin here in verse 1, but most scholars would agree he reappears in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 8 say this, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Guys, ultimately our heart for anyone who goes through this process and who's called out is that they could be brought back to God. There was another friend of mine who I talked to in preparation for this who was called out for their sin as a leader. This led to a lot being unearthed and having to be worked through. It was challenging, and there was a lot of pain and hurt in this rooting out of sin, and not just for him. As he relayed his thoughts, though, he said he was happy to be found out and called out. And he said he was too much of a coward to do it himself and was glad God used others to restore him. I recognize that struggle in my own life too. When I think about the sin I struggle with, sometimes I'm a coward. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to say that I'm ashamed and I'm struggling with these base things. But the reality is we shouldn't hide from the truth and hide from repentance and confession. And when we don't have that, God has given us the church to walk with us and call us out on that. We get to help people come to Jesus even when it's tough. That they might be restored to God. And then 
and restoration, it protects the purity of the church. Verses six through eight of 1 Corinthians five say this, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So for all of you chefs out there who know how yeast and leaven work, what you do is you get this nice dough ball that's pretty flat and not exciting. This is how you get the nice fluffy bread that you've all had sandwiches with. You add a little yeast and it rises and it starts to work its way through the whole dough ball. And then right as they're about to bake it, you can cut off a little piece, take the rest of it, bake it. And then with that little piece, you can put it in the next dough ball and it'll work its way through the whole dough ball having these chemical reactions. And you can keep doing this literally indefinitely. But here, as the Israelites realized, is if you do that, there's this thing called food poisoning. And you shouldn't do that forever and ever and ever. And that is why they had Passover where they took all the leaven out of their house and they had unleavened bread for a week. It may not have been as tasty, but they didn't die because of it. So that's the same idea we have here is that with the church, when there are people in the church, there's a poison that can happen through sin. That if it's not dealt with, it can bear its way through communities and churches. And that is why we have this process so we don't get to that point. And we root out the leaven in our body, the body of Christ. Because purity matters to the Lord, and that is why sin is so wicked in his eyes. I had another friend who I was talking to a couple months ago, and the small group he was in was really struggling with one of the people there, that it really made the time a terrible time at small group. And he was struggling with sin. It was toxic and even dangerous. People, he was pursuing his sinful desires and was literally harassing and trying to hook up with some of the girls in the group. But upon confrontation and with no desire to grow and repent, they asked this person to leave. In this case, not just for the purity of the group in the church, but for the safety of them as well. Because sin can be dangerous and we have to be intentional and mindful to seek restoration so that this does not go throughout. How about one of the most infectious sins out there? Gossip. Now, if you grew up and went to middle school and high school, or if you're in college, this happens a lot. People love to get the tea. People want to show that they know the tea. And just like in Veggie Tales with the rumor weed, it can poison the whole town, or in this case, the whole group of people. Unfortunately, I've had the tragedy of seeing this happen time and time again. People get hurt. People's feelings get hurt. People feel ashamed because we keep talking and gossiping and gossiping and gossiping. Do you know people take talking behind someone's back aimlessly? Do you see it around you? Are you the one talking aimlessly behind people's back? Repent. Turn from your sin and if you see others around you doing it, lovingly call them out and say, hey, like, is this edifying? Are we encouraging these people by talking about this? 
Paul is serious, not just about the sin itself, but the grander effect on the community at large. He cares about his bride, the body of Christ. And lastly, first we've talked about repentance, restoration, and third, spiritual growth. For the sinner, it's that he might experience victory over sin. We see the hope of what we're called to in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not know, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Guys, we have a new identity in Jesus. As sons and daughters of God, we no longer live in the flesh and in sin. We have freedom in Christ. We can experience victory in him. And church discipline is a way that we don't have to do this alone. And then for the church, we can experience spiritual growth with the example of instruction and righteousness. We have spiritual discipline so that we might see righteousness in the church, that people might grow to see and know what is wrong and to be inspired to not do those things. We learn this through his word and through spiritual discipline. 1 Timothy 5.20 says this, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. Think about all the examples that have been made so that others won't follow in the same mistakes. Lord knows how many times I have seen someone else do something stupid so that I don't do it. I'm the youngest child, so I got to see my middle brother do all the dumb things, and then I didn't do them. Like, I shouldn't put a bungee cord on a mailbox and pull it as far as possible and then have it snap and hit me right in the stomach. I said, I shouldn't do that. In the same way, we are called or we have the opportunity of seeing others struggle that we might not do it as well. Those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. And we even see Paul calling out Peter, not just for Peter, but for the whole church around him, because Peter was causing others to sin in the earlier example. So we move against sin in our lives and in the lives of others to find repentance, turning away from our sins and having them turn away from their sins, restoration, reconnecting with God, and spiritual growth in finding victory over our sin. Church discipline isn't something that seems to happen very often in our circles usually, and maybe some of us haven't really seen it played out to the full extent, but it is a biblical command that brings about repentance, restoration, and growth. David Platt would challenge us with the following question. Are we going to build God's church according to his word in his ways or our thoughts and our opinions? God has made it clear.
This is important. Our ultimate hope is in the repentance and restoration and growth of the sinner. This is the goal of the gospel. A verse that me and some of the other guys here have been hashing out many, many times now is Titus 3, 3 through 7. And it perfectly describes what we're talking about. It says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's the sin. That's the sin struggle we're trying to work through and overcome and deal with. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If you don't know Jesus, I implore you to find restoration and freedom from the struggles and strains of this world. Because of sin outside of Christ, we all deserve death but I implore you, transfer your trust to him. Surrender to him. He is merciful to help us despite our shortcomings. There is nothing you can do on your own to save yourself. So please find help in Jesus. And if you're sitting here as a believer and you're struggling with sin, don't wallow, don't persist, but surrender. Surrender it to Jesus. He paid for it so that you don't need to battle through it on your own anymore. He gives us the Holy Spirit that we might have victory over sin and experience that in this life. He's given us a community of people to walk with us through these struggles while we are still here on earth. And if you see your brother struggling or falling to sin, don't seek to beat him up or belittle him. Lovingly call him to repentance. Point him to his need for Jesus and walk alongside them in that. If they're not repentant, bring other mature believers in. And if needed, the leadership of the church. And we'll walk through that together. Not to be holier than thou, but to point them to the cross and push them back to the restoration that they can have with God. And if someone confronts you about sin, be open, be responsive, be prayerful. Is there truth to what they're saying? If so, then I urge you to repent. I would like to invite the band back up as we prepare to take communion. There are packets here, there are packets back there. And I would like to give you a chance to grab them if you'd like to, or you can do it in a minute. I would like to use this time as personal prayer time. As you take communion, take time to confess first with God. Lay your sin before him and recognize that only in him can there be freedom. Then 
to worship and celebrate this, take this wafer and this juice and just reflect on what Jesus has done for you, that he has given his body and blood that you might find freedom. That you no longer are enslaved to that sin or fear and to rejoice and praise him for the hope he has given us. If you're not a believer, we ask that you not take communion. Not because we don't love you, but this is a moment for Christians to appreciate and express remembrance for what we believe Jesus has done for us. Instead, I encourage you to pray and surrender. Surrender your life to him. Transfer your trust to him. Like many of the people sitting around you have done and found hope, freedom, community that both encourages and corrects. Then we can walk together in faith in all of our sins and struggles, finding freedom in the hope of Jesus. So I'm gonna end by praying a prayer that David Platt offers up. So if you would pray with me. God, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your perspective. We pray for an understanding of your church and our lives in it. Help us to see that we, each of us who's praying right now, we are responsible for caring for our brothers and sisters around us in the church. And if they're living in sin, walking off a cliff, we're responsible in love for going and pulling them back. God, please help us to pull them back. We pray for greater purity in the church, in our own lives and the lives of those around us, greater experience of your grace, greater enjoyment of the life that you've called us to live as your church. As we do church, a church according to your instructions, not our ideas. Please may it be so, O oh God, in Aletheia. Help us to display your holiness, work to pull people back to you, and guard, promote, and increase the purity of your church for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.